Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about both Mary Poppins Returns and Bumblebee and I'm happy to be joined by uh, my friend Hannah Couture. Hannah, what's up? Not much. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, thank you for being here. Uh, Hannah, this is the uh, we're going to start with Mary Poppins Returns. This is the, you know, earlier this year, uh, we the two of us did a podcast on A Wrinkle in Time, which uh, <laughs> was, a, was a book that meant a lot to you as a child. And uh, I think going into that movie, you were uh, kind of curious as to whether or not Ava DuVernay was going to ruin your childhood. And, <laughs> and and you came out of that movie, I think, if fair to say, being like, ah, movie is fine. It didn't really ruin anything for me. And I know Mary Poppins has a pretty special place in your heart. So my question is, did Rob Marshall ruin your childhood? <laughs> yeah, I did think about that when I saw it. I was like, this is going to be just like when we talked about A Wrinkle in Time, and I sounded like a crazy person going, well, actually, in the book, it was well, like... Well, no, this. it's not going to be that, because I, I actually like went back and watched the first Mary Poppins <laughs> for the first time in a while, like a couple of days before seeing this, whereas like I'd only read A Wrinkle in Time like when I was like seven. Right. So I'm a little it's more up-to-date. I, I, you've probably forgotten more about the original Mary Poppins than <laughs> I'll ever know, I'm guessing, just based on how much I'm assuming you've watched it. But I I, I knew we were coming at this yeah. uh, from two different places, but also it's a little different because this is like a sequel. It's not just like a, a straight regurgitation right. of the source material. So I guess my main, my main question was going to be to you. I mean, uh, before we actually just get into dissecting this movie, uh, did you have any like overall thoughts going in on like, huh, they're doing this as a sequel is this did you think it was like man this is wholly unnecessary or hey maybe i'll like have some new favorite songs i mean i thought it was a little unnecessary (laughs) just like quick background on me and mary poppins is that it is probably the movie i've seen the most times in my life i was obsessed with it when i was a little kid like like a toddler i would watch it like over and over and oh, like wow. if I if we if I was watching it and we had to pause it, I would make my mom rewind it to the beginning and watch it over. So really, you had, you had to watch like, it the whole two hours and twenty minutes straight through yeah. without any pauses. Yeah, it was like my first. <laughs> it was my first favorite movie for sure, and it was like the first thing I was like weirdly obsessed with as a kid. Hmm. So it's you know I was always gonna have an opinion on this, but when they announced it, I was sort of like that seems unnecessary, but I'm not gonna be mad about it probably. And I mean when we talked about a wrinkle in time, I said like, I'm not one of those people who's like, Oh, if you adapt a thing that I liked as a kid and you do it wrong, it's all ruined. You know, I'm, I'm more like, Oh, like it's nice that there will be more of something that I like and maybe it will be good. And I thought this movie was fine. Uh, I really don't feel that strongly about it one way or the other, honestly. Well, I'm, uh, I, I, I kind of came out the same way, but I'll, I'll just say that, like I said, it's a sequel, uh, from the 1964 original, which obviously was extremely successful, both, uh, money wise, uh, just, I think for pioneering a lot of different kinds of special effects, but also for winning, a good amount of academy awards and getting a lot of academy award nominations i uh we can get into this one's award prospects a little later but i'll just say for the plot the the uh, michael and jane banks who are just little kids in the first one are now grown up and the first one takes place in 1910 here we're in like what 1934 1935 Uh, yeah something like that michael banks played by ben wishaw is in the same childhood home from the original living there with his three children annabelle john and georgie uh his wife kate had died a year ago and they've fallen upon hard times he had to take a take out a loan on the house but he did not tell jane about it until the events of this movie kind of get going so they're a little concerned with how they are going to protect their home from the bank which is now run by uh, colin first character whose name i'm not remembering at the moment but 
for quite frankly, I don't think he's that important. Um, <laughs> I don't remember his name either. Yeah, there, you, there, there, there you go. And uh, but then right as they're kind of just uh, trying to figure out what they're going to do, uh, Mary Poppins returns and the wind changes. <laughs> and uh, then she's there, even though it's maybe not not that she's going to help them uh, with uh, – in, in the first one, it's like, man, these children are just crazy. We need to bring in a nanny to help them out, even though the kids really aren't that crazy. Um, I, I, for, for, that was my thought here. It's just like we have this other problem going on, and then Mary Poppins shows up, and they're like, oh, man, we have so much going on. Can we really afford to bring in a nanny? And it's like, sure, why not? It's Mary Poppins. And we're off. Um, I, I'd say from there, like the movie – I mean it hits a lot of the same – Beats is the original one, and we also have uh, Lin Lin Manuel Miranda playing, who is kind of in the same Dick Van Dyke role, except he is mm-hmm. a lamplighter. Whereas uh, Dick Van Dyke's uh, Bert had a, I guess, a couple of different jobs that were. He's a chimney sweep, chimney yeah. sweeper, and a, a guy that drew stuff on the painted on the street or whatever, yeah. you want, whatever you want to call Plays that. Weird job. music for tips in the park. Yeah, I just like, I'm not exactly sure what a do it all busker, odd job man, whatever you want busker, to call it. Uh, so there you go. But obviously, we pick up with these same characters, and they're going through their own stuff. And uh, I think the movie it, it obviously tells a slightly different story, while at the same time hitting a lot of the same beats. Uh, when you say this movie was fine, I assume that means there's some stuff that you liked, some stuff you didn't like. Um, I guess my thing would first be Hannah. Like, was is there a version of this movie that you would have uh, rather seen with all these different people in it, or are you? Are you kind of like, hey, at least I we kind of like played the hits and got in, got out. Where did you ultimately come down that led you to kind of just be like, eh, overall? I, the thing about it is that like I'm not really sure that there is a version that I would have liked all that much more. Right. You know, it's sort of like everything about it was like, okay, a couple things were good, a couple things were bad, but it was mostly just like, yeah, fine. Because it's sort of an unnecessary project I don't, unless they wanted to – I don't know the, the Mary Poppins books very well i read the first one when i was a kid but they're very different from the movie so it might have been interesting if they wanted to like do something with those but this is really it's not a remake of the original but everything it has all the same beats and everything sort of maps onto something from the original movie like you know they're lamplighters instead of chimney sweeps and there's a thing with balloons instead of with kites but it's all like you know, there's this subplot about the bank again, and there's a section where they go into an animated world again. You know, it's all, it is sort of playing the hits. They go into a funny house where things happen involving ceilings and ups- being upside down. And it's an uh, unnecessary song sung by a weird relative. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think my thing would be that, like, I, I just wanted to find a few. One of my things I really liked about the first one when I went back, because I. I'd say I liked the first one better, but I was also a little more mixed on it than I expected to be. But, like, made, my main criticism of it was, like, man, that is a really freaking long movie for a kid's it's movie. so long. <laughs> and I really could, like, there, and I, I, there's a way in which I could easily see that movie being, uh, like, an hour 50 instead of, like, two hours 19 or whatever it is. And, like, mm-hmm. like you know, like, I didn't need, like, a, a song about banking and similarly to here, even as much <laughs> as fun as it is watching Lin-Manuel Miranda do his thing, I didn't really need the, the song about just l- l- lighting lamps, you know? I just, yeah. it just went on for a really long time. And I just, I, I just didn't need it. But like, what I really did like about the first one more than anything, and I don't usually come out of movies like this, was just man, I was really amazed by its effects 
and its visual effects and how everything it pulled off in that regard. And it did win the Oscar for that. And I was like, man, like this seems like really ahead of its time and I'm really impressed with it. And I don't know if they're really going to be able to pull that off in, uh, 2018 haven't i kind of just seen it all with visual effects and they did have some nice new visual flourishes but i think the 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 thing i probably just did enjoy the most was uh i did think emily blunt even though there's no shame in not being as good of like a song and dance person as julie andrews which she's not and i've even watched some interviews where she's like pretty much said it would be foolish to hold myself to that standard i enjoyed just seeing her do her thing and i thought she at least really captured the essence of mary poppins and like my favorite part of the original is just her initial approach into the house and seeing how she interacts with everyone and just zips in as a force of nature and does her thing as she assumes the role of Danny and hires herself basically. And like, I liked Emily Bunn's presence in that regard when she was going around and doing those types of things. And as long as there's like nothing offensively bad in the movie, then I'm just going to enjoy the tone and the presence that, 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 that brings to the table, if nothing else. And I think that's why I, I ultimately really did, appreciate the movie even if i'm kind of came down where you were where i'm like just like it's fine is that like i still enjoy being in this world and this tone that was created yeah and i will say that i don't think the original is a perfect movie or anything you know not that there's isn't stuff in it that could be improved like obviously i loved every single second of it as a kid but like having seen it again within the last couple years you watch it as, as an adult and go one this movie is really long julie andrews doesn't show up for like a half hour that song about banking is the worst like you know it's not like it's a flawless piece of art. Oh, it's also very – I should say it's also – sorry to cut you off, but it's also very disorienting at the beginning if you haven't seen it in a while and you don't know it's coming. <laughs> Just to have Bert like walking in there and there's like a, a band, a one-man band thing going on and he's like yeah. yelling at these guys that speak in like heavier British accents than anyone else in the movie. It's like really disorienting. I'm like what is going on? Like there is just a lot going on like you were saying. And I mean, I think that some of the flaws with Mary Poppins Returns are the same as some of the problems with the original and that it's too long and there's probably too much stuff about banking and <laughs> some questionable accents, you know, yeah. that's sort of part of the, the charm legacy of it, though, I think. Yeah. Well, because like people because like everybody in my life has asked me about this movie, like when they announced it and after I saw it, like because they know that it's like a big thing with me. So, so my, like, my, oh, like I'm. So I appreciate you doing this thing because now I guess I'm – you're telling me I'm, the, I'm like the person that's making you have the 20th conversation about this. Because I had people say – my dad was saying like, oh, I hope like Lin-Manuel Miranda's accent isn't terrible or whatever. And I was like, you know what? It's probably not going to be great, but it will probably be better than Dick Van Dyke's. And also I think that's like kind of part of the legacy of the character at this point, even though you know he's not playing the same character, but the equivalent. I, I was like not too bothered about that. Right. No, true. But um, d- d- I guess I said my piece about her, but like – I'm sure like anyone rightfully would be skeptical about uh, someone trying to reprise such an iconic role as Mary Poppins. Like, how did you ultimately feel about Emily Blunt? I thought she was good. I like Emily Blunt a lot um, in most things. And I think she wasn't, she wasn't like trying to do an impression of Julie Andrews or anything, but it's sort of, I think she gets the tone, right. She sort of gets like the attitude, right. Even if, you know, it's not going to be, I'm never going to like, that performance by her or anybody else doing that character as much as I like the Julie Andrews one, but I think she does a good job. Yeah. Um, And and again, I think like that gives the movie like a floor when you do build it around like a performance like that, but it is, and like you said, it hits a lot of the same beats as the original, even in the fact that like she disappears for like large portions of time, uh, which, which is, which is like an interesting kind of way to still still kind of, uh, repeat some of the same moves as the original but again she obviously has some like really big moments and you already kind of ran through earlier like some of those other things where it kind of repeats I mean do you think it there's enough 
uniqueness to some of these same things that it does in different ways like where they go into the where they go into the theater in this version of an animated world and they have that song and dance routine there did did you take enough from those different things or whether it be the whole crazy relative thing i mean what did you were they at least interesting enough to watch even though they might not hit the same highs as the original as far as like the musicality i i did like the um the animated sequence where they go into the, the ceramic bowl, which is like the equivalent of the chalk drawing from the original. I'd like that because I think they got like, they managed to get sort of the spirit of the original and that too. Like I like the design of the animals in the theater and stuff. They make it look just enough like uh, the animation from the original. And it's also just nice to see like 2d animation in right. an American movie these days. Cause you really don't see that anymore, which is kind of a bummer, but I did like, I liked that scene. I thought the the scene with Meryl Streep, I think that is maybe the worst song. I think it's kind of bad. <laughs> I think it like you could take that out of the movie entirely and it wouldn't change. Because I saw someone point out later the reason they go to see her is because so she can fix uh, the kids have broken this ceramic bowl that belonged to their mom and they go to take it to her to get it fixed. And I saw someone point out later that they never get it back. We don't know if she actually fixed well, it. Well, well, they're also told like it's not ha- it doesn't have a lot of value actually when they have been told it has a lot and i guess that's kind of like one of the big themes of the movie that repeats itself through these songs and that was another big thing i wanted to talk about was that they're like a lot of it's how things are not actually what they seem you know there's the a cover is not the book and a lot of the stuff in the turning it's called turning turtle i guess is that song Mm -hmm. and it's just like oh it's not yin it's yang like there are like 14 different versions of like such sayings in the song and how things are not really what they seem. You need to actually look closely at it and then you'll see different value in it. And I'm like, I don't really know if this is like a theme that is really bearing itself out in the main plot of the movie. And I think one of the things I appreciate more about the original is that in addition to like the songs just being better is that like, I think a lot of them are, do kind of tie into the main theme of like just kind of uh, finding fun in more things, the power of imagination and really that Mr. Banks needs to like lighten up. And I think a lot of the songs do kind of tie into that, whereas it's like here, it's like, I don't really know if anyone is like really needing to like go on that same kind of journey or learn that same kind of lesson, yet they keep insisting. I kind of felt like through these songs, they kept insisting to us that that was the case, where it's like, this guy just needs to like find some money. Uh, that, that that was where I yeah. kind of came down on it, you know? And it's like, he didn't do anything wrong besides like not be good with money. Yeah, I just, I'm not really sure what that scene is doing that, doing there other than like Meryl right. Streep wanted to be in the movie and you don't say no to her like yeah i i, I, I mean that's get that. the worst one yeah it's like i get that like who, uh what oh no go uh, ahead. I, I thought, sorry I, th- I thought you were about to say something else no i mean like, i <laughs> nope. i get not saying i get not saying no to meryl streep you know and i guess she worked with rob marshall and into the woods which um i mean did pretty much the same thing so i guess she likes getting dressed up and singing and stuff and hey maybe i'll get a Golden Globe nomination or something like that, or did she? Or did she? she did she get she an Oscar? She did it, which is oh, for Into, Into the, the Woods. woods? Yeah, yeah, she she got an Oscar nomination Jeez. for Into the Woods. Yeah. Wow. Well, that, that's that's a that ref, was that's that a was flex. one where people. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, to, to to show up like that, and maybe she's like, hey, like I like doing the dressing up and singing thing. If I can get an award out of it and just do it for a song, then I'll do it. And I I, I get like not telling Meryl Streep no, but like I feel like they could have like thought of a more useful meaningful way to utilize her talents yeah or just anything that ties into the greater plot at all i think overall i did i did not uh find these songs as memorable as the ones from the original which obviously you know there's like 
years and years of me hearing the ones from the original over and over again and me hearing these once, you can't really compare them. But I just, I don't, none of them, I, I think, really stuck in my brain very much. Well, yeah, and I think, uh, well, like like you already explained to us, you've seen this movie more times than you can count. I mean, <laughs> and, I, and I, I, I'm sure I, like, I know I saw it at least once when I was little, but I don't know how many more times I did. And before I went into this most recent viewing of the original a couple weeks ago, I couldn't have told you any of the songs besides Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, okay. you know? Like, I, I and, and so a friend made that point to me the day, a day or two after I saw that, Mary Poppins Returns, and it's like, well, yeah, of course you're not going to remember the songs as well. Everyone's heard those other songs a ton, and I honestly don't think I could have sung you any of the other songs from the first one, yet now, I, I mean, f- for the last week and a half since I watched it, I've had Spoonful of Sugar stuck in mm-hmm. my head. I've had uh, Let's Go Fly a Kite stuck in my head, you know, and I mean, a couple of the others probably would still ring more of a bell than anything from the newest one. I mean, I guess the uh, um, the Underneath the Lovely London Sky, or whatever the first one Lynn sings is, like, that one maybe sticks with me a little bit more than most of the others in this, but like I'm, I'm still thinking about the original songs way more, and I couldn't have told you what most of them were prior to the, that viewing of the movie, which was a few days before I watched Mary Poppins Returns. So, right. I mean, I, that's not the only barometer for the quality of a song, and I'm certainly not the best source to go to for like music criticism, but <laughs> I just don't... That, that's the other thing I want to talk to you about. I, I've, I've heard a lot, of, a lot of the coverage I've listened to about this movie. Everyone's like, why didn't they just get Lin-Manuel Miranda to write the songs if they already had them around anyway? And I think that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. Like, I'm sure it took a lot of creative juice and time for him to write Hamilton. Like, you don't write badass songs overnight you know what i mean yeah and so like everyone's saying like oh that would have been the easiest thing just to get him to do it when it's already like a demanding role and i'm sure the guy has a lot going on uh I, I think a lot of people assumed he did write them when they found out he was going to be in it. Like he just wrote songs for Moana last year too. So like they just kind of thought, oh, that's something he'll do for any project he's attached to. I mean, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that about his involvement, if that was something you thought would have really made a huge difference or anything like that. But I think we it does sound like we're in agreement that like that something was certainly missing in that regard. Yeah, I think he has said that like, the appeal of doing this was that he didn't have to write anything for it. Cause I think (laughs) they started filming this like right after he left Hamilton or like not too long after. And yeah, so I don't know where that overlaps on the production of Moana, but that would have been like pretty recent to when they filmed this too. And I think the songs in Moana are really good, but you can't be like, Oh, if if you want to, we'll offer you this part, but you also have to write the songs. Like that would be silly. Yeah. That's not like so, really how, and works. you know, maybe they wouldn't have been better. You, you, I, the, the thing is the songs in this, in this movie were written by, uh, Mark Shaman and I forget the other guy's name, um, who wrote the songs for hairspray, which is a great musical, Oh, okay. but yeah. they've done, they also wrote the songs for catch me if you can, which is like an okay musical. Like, you know, it's not, they've done, good stuff and sort of okay stuff, but it's not like the songs were written by people who don't know how to write a good musical. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I think it was, it's probably a lot of it was me having high expectations, but that's interesting to hear that that was also your reaction, even not being super familiar with the originals. Yeah. I mean, well, I I think that like, I mean, it seems like it is most people's reactions, you know? And like, I, I don't know. It was just one of those things where it's like, you could have almost like, seen a ver I, I it would have been reasonable for anyone to expect a version of this movie to just be fine but still have them like you assume if you're going to go through the effort and put all the money into such an endeavor like this that that is one thing you're just going to nail like you'll nail the soundtrack it's like a thing that mm-hmm. like, a, not an unreasonable expectation to have and i just i just don't think they quite did that and 
for whatever reason that that it just would that that would have been like one of the things to kind of hold on to and just be like yeah like i was in on the movie but like hey at least i'll have these few new songs to jam out to <laughs> um uh, right did, well i mean and i should listen to them again and you know maybe they'll grow in my opinion but yeah they were sort of like whatever they were fine they weren't none of them were bad except maybe the meryl streep one but they weren't very memorable right yeah for sure um i I, want to at least get to this uh get to the banking stuff it's i mean again not necessarily wholly (laughs) every kid's favorite part (laughs) yeah i mean i mean one i didn't really think it really accomplished a ton just having like the whole thing where colin farrell is like kind of deceiving them but he actually wants to steal the house because i guess the bank can get a lot of money if they repossess it and uh as far as like how that all resolved and kind of tied up i mean were you like oh as silly as it is and i don't need a lot of banking stuff it's really cool how they uh worked in the whole thing about the tuppence into it at the end and that was really cool and dick van dyke showing up like did that make it like uh, more palatable for you is like, oh, hey, this is cool. Even if like it's still way too much about banking for a kids' movie. Uh, how, how did you think about like how the movie ultimately did kind of resolve itself and compared to just the first one and uh, your expectations at that point in the movie? It was kind of worth it for me for the Dick Van Dyke cameo and the the Tuppence thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how the thing. Like, I'm increasingly now when I see movies i'm like and i'm always find myself going like do kids like this are kids into this because you know sometimes you see kids movies and you're like i like this or this is kind of boring i don't know so i mean it seemed like it went over pretty well with the kids in my theater but i don't know how many kids one how many kids kids these days are um like really into the original movie and even so if they, if, and even if they had like would they like catch on to the tuppence thing you know right uh, but like because there are sort of like fan servicey like easter egg things in this movie where they like reference lines like like dick van dyke in this movie he starts to do the like i once knew a man with a wooden leg named smith and then he goes oh wait no that's the wrong story which is like a joke from the first movie uh, and there's a couple other lines where i was like aha like the thing from the first one but i don't know if that you know if that is necessarily good or it's just like playing on your nostalgia so you go oh yeah like the other thing that i like i don't know yeah well i thought it was cool because it's not like I mean well obviously like as far as broader story points, it just it is a lot similar beat to beat, repeating some of those notes from the original. Like that Tuppence thing is like kind of a cool thing, to, just like a detail to pull out where it kind of makes sense in a fan servicey way. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, well that mm-hmm. is a thing that like that that is a thread that makes sense to pull, and it didn't feel like too out of nowhere in a certain way. And I I just kind of appreciated that, and I thought that was like a cool a cool way to work it in. And yeah, it's like a nice little bit of resolution. And I thought it was cute. Did you, my mom, like, cause my mom's like, I saw it with my mom and like, she's like a big Julie Andrews fan or, I mean, she, she saw this a ton growing up, but, like sound of music's her number one undisputed mm-hmm. all time favorite movie. But she actually called like, she, she, maybe she actually read going in that Dick Van Dyke was going to be in it, but she actually called that he, he was going to be Dawes Jr. Uh, she just like, kind I, of figured out. I don't know if you, if you, if you kind of already had that same uh, prediction. I knew also. that he was going to be in it. I don't remember if I knew who he was playing mm-hmm. um because they they mentioned bird at the beginning of the movie because mary poppins says something to jack when manuel Miranda's character she says something about like oh how's bert doing he's like oh he's off traveling the world or something so i thought like oh maybe bert will like pop in at the end but then it was mr dawes jr which i think is probably just as well because that for like as much fun as people make of Dick Van Dyke's accent in Mary Poppins, it is like a pretty iconic performance. And I don't know if it would feel weird to have him at like 93 or whatever. 
playing the same. Well, well, also like if Mary Pop, yeah, because Mary Poppins is ageless. Like it would be a weird. I don't know. I feel like this was probably the right route if they wanted him to have a cameo. Yeah, and it was actually a fun cameo. Like I was like, man, like he still got it. I mean, some people think they might have CGI'd some of that, like him jumping around and things like that, because his back is to the camera for a lot of the dancing. But like mm-hmm. he still like has a lot of charisma for an actor that's what ninety two, ninety three. Yeah, um, and that was cool. It was nice to see him. And like, I saw like some people in my theater were like, Oh look, there he is. You know, some of the older people in my theater were like, Hey, it was probably, it was like one of the moments in the movie that got like the biggest audience reaction, which was nice. That's cool. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about just, uh, Lin-Manuel's performance. Uh, we touched on the accent and I guess that's kind of the, the and how you, it being played by an American and being a little off is something that you kind of just have to accept that they're just going to keep consistent throughout these movies. Uh, but I mean, what did you think about, cause I realized like I've, I, I never saw Hamilton on stage. Like I've listened to the songs and I saw, uh, Lin-Manuel's performance, uh, as in a few of the guest episodes, as a guest star in Curb Your Enthusiasm last year <laughs> and, I'd, and hosting SNL, I guess. And I'd never really seen him in actually act before. Like, what did you think about him on the big screen? thought he was fine I thought it was pretty good you know like I said the accent was like sort of whatever and I think I'm like I think I've also seen him say this in interviews that like he is a better writer than he is singer or actor that Mm -hmm. he's like a good performer but he's not like you know if you were talking about like the best pure like Broadway stars you know he's better at creating things than actually a bit like I think the performance is fine. Didn't he not actually? It's about win? what I expected it to be. Didn't he not he actually win, win? Tony? Yeah, I was going to ask him. I know you're the person. He won Tonys for writing it, but Leslie Odom Jr. won the um, the acting Tony for Hamilton. Okay, I didn't remember if Leslie Odom's was like a su- actor, like a supporting actor in a musical no, type of thing. They he, were both nominated lead. for lead. Oh, and okay, he won. gotcha, yeah. gotcha. I couldn't remember that. So yeah, but and and, I, and I'd heard that a couple other places. Everyone just kind of accepts the fact that like yes, he's like a genius songwriter, but not exactly like the he's not as strong of an actor as he is there but like no i mean i certainly enjoyed him too and it seemed like uh he was having a lot of fun with it and i I mean it was really surreal in the uh the royal dalton music hall sequence how uh i was like wait they're rapping in mary poppins and that that was just like a cool realization to have in the middle of that movie like wow this is like i mean i just watched the 1964 version of this like and when it's like what, what if you'd ask someone in 1964 like what 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 rap is you know like no one knew what rap was then and now it's like i'm watching our like a, a kind of a rap in a mary poppins movie and i was like i was i was just like giggling as that happened you know yeah <laughs> the thing about that is that like it's like kind of like that song is the most similar to like a song that he would write i guess right it, but it's also like it, it's more of like a musical theater like patter song than it is a rap you know it's sort of similar to like in in the you know the part in the original Mary Poppins when uh, they're in the, the during Jolly Holiday when Dick Van Dyke is like listing off the names of other women and there's a thing with the penguins like that it, it, like he sort of does like talk singing like that it's like not quite rap I feel like people were kind of getting worked up about the fact that like before the movie came out they were like oh it's it's not going to be real songs or whatever and like it's like sort of it's like sort of rapping it was cute but you know. Yeah, I, I, I'm again. I, I'm not like one. I'm, I'm definitely not one to go to for music. No, you're right. I'm it's definitely just... not one to go to for like rap analysis. But like, it was just a fun <laughs> realization, even if it's not like the most like hardcore actual well, like rap. You're you're watching all these songs, and you're like, is he gonna do it? Like, is he just gonna sit? Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see him, and that's what you expect. Right. Uh, uh, last thing I wanted to ask about, because like I, I mentioned earlier, how like. I mean, I, I wanted this one to at least have a few interesting, different visual flourishes that like at least felt pretty 
interesting because I just didn't obviously didn't see it topping the first one in that respect. And I, I enjoyed the bubbles thing from that animated sequence and watching the 2D animation was cool. Uh, what do you do? You have any other visual thoughts on anything else? Because I, if, if there's anything else, feel free to mention it. But I wonder what what I actually what I guess I wanted to ask you about was the was the last scene and the stuff with the balloons, which you did mention a little bit earlier. What did you think about that sequence and uh, Angela Lansbury uh, showing up out of nowhere just to be there? Uh, I heard some people say they thought that that might have been like a part they offered to Julie Andrews and she passed, uh-huh. uh, which would make a lot of sense. But uh, did you have any thoughts just on that last sequence and how they handled that? Um, yeah, I think it it would make sense that that would if they wanted Julie Andrews to have a cameo. And I know she said she didn't want to like that would be what it was. But you I know, also know that I know that I know you're, you're you, I, I doubt I don't know if you're going to see Aquaman, but she was really busy voicing a sea monster. So I just don't think she <laughs> had time to show Aquaman up. yet. But honestly, like good for her. She voiced um, a, she's voicing a sea monster in DC. Just doesn't have time to show up to um, show up for Mary Poppins, but can go voice a well, sea no, monster. I know, I, like she because she can't really sing anymore, yeah. and I don't know if as originally um, as they originally conceived it, if that part involves singing when they wanted her to play it. But like Angela Lansbury still sings and sings in this movie, so I can see how you know if they wanted her to participate in the song, like it would have been kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know she just didn't really want to be involved, but like, you know, it's always nice to see Angela Lansbury, who was also a thousand years old and like <laughs> still doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Good for her. But like, I, mean, I thought, I mean, I thought that scene was cool too. I mean, I don't know, like as far as like just, um, Mary Poppins, uh, going away and, um, she acknowledges prior to that, I think when she's talking to, um, uh, Lin-Manuel that like the, the you know, the, the adults are going to forget all this. They always do. That kind mm-hmm. of thing, and then she's off. But Michael and Jane can kind of sense that she's gone. Um, man, it, wait. So Angela Lansbury is ninety three. Dang. Okay. Um, yeah, she's. I think she's. She and Dick Van Dyke are sorry. around the same age. Sorry, I just interrupted my <laughs> thought by pointing up her Wikipedia. I was just curious when he said that, and I, I'm like, maybe she like is a little younger than Julie Andrews. I don't know. No, um, Julie Andrews is only like eighty. Yeah, she's, she's younger. I think. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I mean, like, I, I, I thought I, I just thought it was a pretty nice sequence that looked uh, i mean it visually looked really cool and it focused a little bit more on london than some of the other stuff in the movie that was uh just not shot as wide and i thought it looked really cool and was was pretty touching to see her kind of drift off one last time yeah i will they sort of lean more in this one they sort of lean more into like the idea of it being supernatural Mm -hmm. because i feel like in the original like obviously she's magical in some ways but this one they really lean on like oh like the adults never notice and the kids will forget and she i feel like she is always saying like oh no of course i didn't do that that would have been ridiculous like she's sort of i think they sort of like lean more on her as some sort of like magical or supernatural being more than the first one does which might just be a necessity because she it's been age. 30 years and she's the same yeah <laughs> um no yeah no i mean i agree and like i and like i said that's my favorite part about these movies is like them when they do just kind of do the wink wink and lean into that kind of thing and she is kind of interacting with the children and she's acting like what i, I don't know what you're talking about like that, mm-hmm. i don't know that, that stuff is just so charming to me and makes me so happy and um it's my favorite part and i and i'm totally all for them uh leaning into it that way and i i just thought it was like an interesting touch where at the beginning of the movie you hear michael and jane go like that didn't really all that stuff that didn't really happen did it it's like they've compartmentalized it and uh whether or not they like subconsciously or consciously did that uh all of a sudden it all it does kind of all come back to them at least to a certain extent when she shows up and uh but not but they just think they she was just a regular nanny and maybe they didn't do all that magic stuff and then 
they're confronted with it all again, and Mary Poppins makes that comment, like I said, about just her yeah the adults forget so it is kind of like i guess in her saying that that is like an acknowledgement of the supernatural but just in a way that like the adults don't have that capacity for imagination i guess Mm -hmm. well and i was i was talking to my friend over the holiday who had also seen this and she said that a thing she liked about it is that it's kind of a movie about how like kids do notice when something is wrong or like when their parents are upset or whatever and that a lot of times in movies that doesn't really get acknowledged as much that like you know it, on one hand, it's like sort of weird to have a movie with for kids that's like largely about like banking and mortgages and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it, it does. It's nice that it does kind of also acknowledge that like when families are having are having a hard time financially or like with other issues, like it does affect the kids too. And that's kind of like the the point of Mary Poppins, like why she comes to help them. And right. like that's more of a thing in this one. Like in the first one, she just comes because they're like some we, mildly misbehaving kids, and in yeah. this one, they like do have some legitimate problems yeah do do you think it uh do you think mary poppins is a bad nanny though like (laughs) uh i i kind of had that thought like i don't know if i really had that thought in the original but i'm like i'm watching this and when they're in the music hall sequence it's like the kids just walk away and she just like keeps singing and dancing and she keeps way less of an eye on them in this one i would say yeah i'm like i mean i get that she like has some good sense for like how children should have manners and like clean themselves and stuff. But uh, like, I'm like, man, she doesn't really have like the most watchful eye for someone that like <laughs> has a pretty high opinion of herself. I was just like, it was just like, I thought I had to watch in this. I don't know. It's funny. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think we, uh, I think we pretty well covered it. And I mean, anyone that's like cares about Mary Poppins has definitely already seen it by the time we're posting this. But I mean, I thought it was interesting to get the perspective of someone that just like had such a long history with the movie as opposed to me and uh, kind of see how you uh, thought the movie paid homage to and built upon the original. Do you have any other uh, final thoughts? Um, let's see. I will. I think Ben Wishaw is really good in this movie. Yeah. Uh, I think he was actually maybe my favorite performance. Like it's a small performance, but it's like a much he's, it's like a much less cartoonish uh, performance in a movie that has a lot of kind of wacky stuff going on. And I think that it's, yeah, that it's is like a, a nice sort of grounding presence for the movie. I'm glad you said that because that is one way in which I think it really does distinguish itself from the original. Whereas, I mean, Mr. Banks is such a broad character, you know, up until mm-hmm. when he isn't, I would say. And he is really grounded. And I, th- I do think you feel for him. Um, it's some people read a lot into, I guess, the scene where he where he drew the money. And I thought that was uh, that that was pretty nice. I mean, it, you know, whereas like Mr. Banks gets like really upset because like the kids seem happy and cheerful at one after one yeah. of their adventures. It's like here, this guy is he still manages to not blow up at his kids when he's dealing with like actual real world problems and they're like bothering him about money and like actually catching on, like you said, in the way where kids can sometimes catch on when something's wrong when the parents are actually not really trying to discuss things with them. Yeah, well, and both the parents and the original are kind of caricatures. So it's, I mean, and they both, like, those are fun performances and I like their songs. But it is kind of nice that this one just has, like, a nice dad who is trying his best. (laughs) I don't know. What do you you think about um, it's still putting Emily Mortimer in the same position to put uh, Winifred in in the beginning and being like, here, go do some activism? Yeah, I mean, it's more, this movie is more sympathetic to Jane than the original movie is uh, to Winifred, for sure. (laughs) Although... Even though, like, uh, Sister Suffragette, the song from the first one that Winifred sings, is supposed to be about how she's, like, a bad mom because she's off being an activist, but it's, like, a really good song, so I kind (laughs) of don't care. (laughs) Um, This one is much more sympathetic to the fact that Jane is trying to help out unions. Yeah, for some reason, but good for her for... uh, (laughs) uh, 
again, weird subplot for a kid's movie, maybe, but it's part of the legacy of the characters, so... Yeah, I mean, and I mean, it, it, it is one interesting thing about this. Like when you were kind of talking earlier about this, like, well, our kids, what are, what are kids going to take from this? Like, I'm not a kid anymore. What do, what, what do you think, kids? Like, it, it's also like, I, I, I mean, I kind of can see how the movie, it, it, some of the other criticism I've read is like, man, like these movies are like really anti-capitalist. And it's like, man, if you want to like go that far down that rabbit hole, I guess you can read it that way. And um I, I, I don't know. But if also, you're, I, it's a Disney movie. It's yeah, not it's like be radically anti-capitalist. Yeah, it's the thing. I don't know if you're giving Disney like too much credit by going there. Yeah, because it's like not exactly like the most like nuanced portraying of the banks. It's just like this man is evil, and I guess yeah, you could say big banks are evil. But I mean, again, like you said, it's still a big corporation putting the movie on. I think trying to dissect the politics of these movies is not really going to take you anywhere particularly useful because people are like, well, on one hand, it's about how like banks can screw people out of their homes but on the other hand they're saved by the fact that oh surprise we were rich all along so i mean what can you do it's a it's a disney movie like yeah for sure but i mean i I, again i think um man i feel like we i feel like we did dwell a little bit on the negatives but i so i I do just want to say like i still think like especially if someone like has kids and for some reason hasn't seen it like i think they're gonna have a fun time like there's plenty of stuff to look at that you're not gonna like get really bored except like if they when they sing about lamp lighting for like 15 minutes maybe you might at that point but like i think it's still like there's plenty of fun stuff to look at and there like you said there are some there are some pretty heartfelt performances i think emily blunt is pretty fun to watch still in the role and captures uh, a lot of what made the original performance so special so i think it's still worth your time just like still like not not something that's gonna like win win any like uh that many above the line oscars besides like maybe emily blunt getting a nomination we didn't really get into that but like obviously you know, like I think a lot of people just like at the beginning of the year pencil this in, like, yes, yeah, I think I'll probably get like a song nomination or something. And I mean, I don't think that's a foregone conclusion. Like, probably maybe visual effects and Emily Blunt. Costume and design, costume production design, design and, yeah. maybe. But yeah, I mean, like I said, the songs are fine, but it's like kind of a good original song year, mm-hmm. which it isn't always in a yeah. weaker year, maybe. Um, or they'll just be like, oh, yeah, Mary Poppins, like, we should nominate a song from that, obviously. I don't know. I don't know that. I feel like Emily Blunt probably isn't, although she got SAG and Golden Globe nominations for this. So we'll, that maybe people like the performance more than I thought. I don't think she'll get an Oscar nomination though. I feel like we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually planning, uh, um, an awards podcast later on so i didn't want to get too much into like running down categories and <laughs> stuff like that but um I, I i agree it's maybe not as big of a player but maybe you'll still get a few so um yeah so that's mary poppins returns um now we're going to move on to a movie that's uh really just a uh, hop skip and a jump away from that bumblebee uh <laughs> bumblebee is the newest transformer movie it is Directed by Travis Knight, who did Kubo and the Two Strings. It stars uh, Haley Steinfeld, uh, John Cena, Pamela Adlon, uh, Jorge Lundenberg, I think is how you say his name, who you might have seen earlier this year in uh, Love, Simon. Uh, it tells the prequel story of the Bumblebee character that we all uh, know so well from the – it's Jorge Lundenberg, sorry, who we all know so well from the – or not all of us in this conversation, but who some of us know, who some of us know really well from the original Transformers movies, but, um, and just how Bumblebee is a part of the Transformer planet, uh, and ends up getting sent to earth by Optimus Prime, who 
all of you who have seen the original Transformers movies definitely know, to kind of start his own thing down there. But he is chased by some of the Decepticon robots down there and is beat up, loses his memory, loses his voice, and is left for dead. And is discovered by 18-year-old Charlie, played by Haley Steinfeld, who's just looking for a car. And it's about how their relationship grows, but how he also ends up becoming a little more aware of what's going on around him. So uh, Hannah and I both have different relationships with the Transformers franchises. I saw the first movie with uh, Shia LaBeouf and uh, Megan Fox, which was a big hit back when we were like in high school. And then I saw the second one because I liked that one. And then for some reason, probably because I didn't really care that much for the second one, I didn't see the next three or four that Michael Bay did for nothing nothing but that for like 15 years except for pain and gain because pain and gain is actually great hannah you had never watched any of these movies before bumblebee uh no was it what was it that brought you to bumblebee aside from what surprised everyone were pretty good (laughs) reviews um honestly it's because i like any movie where somebody becomes friends with a robot like it it uh the because when they first announced this movie, I was like, well, that sounds bad because I hadn't seen any of the. I think I'd seen part of the first Transformers movie, but like Transformers were unlike Mary Poppins, not a part of my childhood at all. I don't mm-hmm. know anything about Transformers mythology. Yeah, I and, should say I'm not like a big fan of the toys or the, all any of the other mythology that or uh, TV shows from the 80s or whatever it is that people are attached to. Like my relationship also begins with the movies. Yeah, and so there, you know, those movies tend to get pretty bad reviews and they're always super long and I was just like not interested. Um, but then the trailer for this one came out and I thought it looked pretty cute. Um, and I like Haley Steinfeld and, uh, movie was pretty good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. So are you a big iron giant fan? I'm a big iron giant fan. Yeah. That's what it was is that the trailer looked so much like the iron giant. I was like, well, that that is a, a plot that I always enjoy. It's like Iron Giant or like E.T., anything like that, where, you know, a kid befriends alien or a robot, robot or an alien, then they just have a nice adventure. I was like, that'll be a fun movie to see over Christmas. Yeah, so I actually just watched Iron Giant for the first time earlier. Well, I was about to say this year. We're in, we're in 2019 now, but er, er, earlier, like right before I went on like a Brad Bird binge, so I can be a little more informed before I did my Incredible Sea podcast. Like I watched that and uh, Ratatouille and, uh, you know, Iron, Iron Giant's really solid, but it, 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 it is funny the more you think about it that this movie is really like a remake all the way down to like the angry government agent, which – Yeah, uh, it really is. And that is like the worst part of Iron Giant in my opinion, like just to have like some someone that cartoonishly evil with very little nuance and – um um, and I, I don't want to put that same critique on Bumblebee, but I think I, and I, to get, don't get me wrong. I really like Bumblebee too, but like my, like my main problem with it, um, I really had two problems, but the first one I'll say is that, uh, it really misuses John Cena, who I think we have come to learn in the last few years can like be really effective in movies when used a certain way. Um, and usually it's for comedic effect. And yeah. he actually does have a couple of nice comedic notes here where like when Charlie's stepdad, like is confessing to him that, like, you know, I once stole a Malamar when I was a kid and he goes, we know. Uh, yeah, know, there, there are certain ways where you can like use him and deploy him and, uh, in like an overly, overly serious way to the point where it comes comedic. But when he's just like angry government agent that wants to stop your hero, like that's just not the best use of his talents, which is what his role is here when, cause he first encounters Bumblebee and when Bumblebee accidentally stumbles upon his troop and then he's chasing him down the rest of the movie. Yeah, I think you're right. Like if you're going to put John Cena in a movie, I think that we have come to learn that he is really good at being funny in movies so sisters no... train wreck blockers uh three right there it's really in the last, funny like, in blockers which i don't even like as much as most people but he's 
pretty funny in it. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, and like, to be clear, I don't think this movie is like ripping off the iron giant because it is a pretty standard kid befriends someone or something and they have an adventure. It's like a totally standard plot, but because it's a robot that comes from space (laughs) comparison has to be made. Uh, so, uh, I guess I guess more what I'll say then is that like I think a, a lot of the movie also like rest on you buying uh, Charlie as like a girl that has been out of place and is just really not happy in life and wouldn't have any friends and, and needs something to connect with to actually give her something to be happy about because she's pretty she, I guess she's your typical teenager that has like a parents that she doesn't get along all that well with and not a lot of friends at school and you know funny enough we saw Haley seinfeld basically do this exact thing two years ago in edge of 17 where she played a girl whose dad dies and i feel like every time we talk we end up bringing up edge of 17 but yeah but i mean i mean mean, that's i mean i i adore that movie i'm probably not the right comparison yeah i'm sure other times where i have talked to you about it like i found a much less uh logical way to work it into the conversation but here (laughs) she is having to do the same thing and it's uh this is a very traditionally uh attractive woman who you know like has like a at least in Edge of Seventeen, like she had a fun, she had a funny personality, like, and it was like, man, would this person really only have one friend? But like the performance right. was like such a force of nature performance that like I wasn't that bothered by it. You know, here she's not. I wouldn't say she's like as funny as Nadine in Edge of Seventeen, so maybe it's like not as naturally charming. But I still bought that, like, you know, like she was down on down on her luck, which I guess is the most important thing for this movie for. To, to, to then get you invested in that relationship with the robot, you know? Yeah, and because she's sad because her dad died, which is mm-hmm. also the plot of Edge of Seventeen. Yeah. Um, but you're right that it does, whenever you see any sort of movie about a teenager, at least a Hollywood movie, you're always like, I don't know that I buy that person as like a huge dork that nobody's friends with. And I will say that the I think the worst part of Bumblebee is there's like that clique of mean girls that is just so cartoonish and I think kind of bad that it, yeah, but the scene where they TP one of the girls' house, I mean, was that not legitimately funny when Bumblebee oh, I mean, decided to jump great. in the car? Yeah. <laughs> it was so excited. So, so, no, but I just – those characters themselves are like yes. barely anything. So like the scene where like they dare her to dive off of the cliff – um, and then they are really, really mean and make jokes about her dad having a dead dad. Like that is like – I guess that's a little hard to swallow as like, oh, wait, really? Like you know, like we're going to – we're supposed to buy this. Like I mean obviously like you're still suspending disbelief anyway in a robot movie. But like you can at least <laughs> expect to get grounded characters from like the the humans um, who are at least somewhat believable. And that wasn't. But like on top of that, that scene set up my other least favorite part of the movie where like they awkwardly had to have like a dam there so she at the end so she could have yeah. – to so she would have to dive again. I'm like, all right, this well, is a this is a little clunky. Second at the beginning of the movie when her mom's like, why are you throwing away your diving trophies? You're like, that's going to come back. Oh, that's a good <laughs> – that's a good – hey, I, I, this is really random. Have you ever seen the movie Red Eye? No. Okay, it's like Rachel McAdams killing. Yeah, I know of it. I've never seen it. Yeah, there's like a thing in there. I mean, where uh, like the first shot of the movie, like going through her house and like randomly and like in her closet, and it shows her like playing field hockey. And Mm -hmm. my, my, I saw that movie with my dad. I had to been like 13, and like my dad, like at the end, like there's nothing said about the end, and there's like a a chase down scene where two people are fighting. One of them is her in her house. My dad's like, she's gonna get the field hockey stick. It's (laughs) like it's like I gotta be more aware of like that kind of thing, and that's a good that that was a good call on your part, I guess. Because I, I, I didn't even think of it in that terms. I was just like, oh, there's water here. Well, of it's not even just that. It's like then, like she and Bumblebee watch footage of her diving, and then she there's the thing 
where the kids dare her to dive. So you're like, okay, by the end, this is going to, she's going to save somebody by diving into something. Yeah. So maybe subtlety is like not the best part of the movie, but like when it's really looking for subtlety from Bumblebee. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, if, if it's charming in the right places, that's great. Uh, was the, uh, have you reached a saturation point with like the breakfast club being used in other pop culture? Because, Oh, uh, for sure. Um, I mean, (laughs) between that and pretty much every single like relevant popular 80s song that gets played in movies is played in this movie. And, I guess I'm enough of a music noob that like I still get kind of jazzed by them, but I can see how maybe some people might get a little tired of them, but like I was still jamming. So Yeah, it is uh because this movie I don't think it specifies what year, but it's set in the eighties and there yeah, is I a think lot it's of like stuff. it's eighty seven or eighty eight. It's, it's I 80, think it says Oh, me. you're yeah. right. I think it did they do say eighty seven. But yeah, there are a couple moments where you're like, We get it, it's the eighties and the Breakfast Club thing is like a big one where I mean, I'm not really a huge fan of that movie to begin with, but it's like you know, if she's supposed to be a, a girl who has kind of offbeat taste, she really <laughs> she just says so ba- into basic. the breakfast, like she the has, most she... popular teen movie of the 80s. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess, yeah. So some of the soundtrack is just like typical mainstream 80s stuff, but I guess we're supposed to see she has this huge vinyl collection. She probably has a very eclectic, offbeat, like you said, taste in music, but she has like the most basic taste in rom-coms, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, which, whatever, it's fine. I know you have to use signifiers for you know, what era something's taking place in, but they do use a lot of pretty obvious ones. Yeah. But I mean, like it's still, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's still perfectly, uh, uh, charming enough for me to like watch them like driving down a coastal highway. And, uh, I thought they had a pretty, also, I thought they had a pretty dope well, house in the doing the little fist pump. Like that was cute when he does. The... Yeah. After John Cena, like, I mean, at that point, <laughs> yeah. at that point, John Cena is back to being like a real person again. And it's supposed to be like a, like a nice moment where he's like, actually like acknowledging that bumblebee's not evil and then he his 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 understanding of human interactions is still rather limited at that point so that that was really funny i don't know i, I did just enjoy i mean it's it's a little unclear exactly uh what triggers his memories to come back but like i i, I did kind of enjoy like watching him uh get a better understanding of just how to function in general like those scenes are and I guess that just goes back to like you saying, like you're a sucker for movies where the kid befriends the robot. And yep. I guess I am just easily charmed by like the robot not quite getting it, but having the kid there to support him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I love robots trying to figure out human behavior. Or, or, or yeah, <laughs> it's always so funny to me. Or just like the logical self-preservation type thing to do. Like every time where he didn't transform into the car when he should have, or did it late, or mm-hmm. like like when like in the TP scene where he just. uh doesn't transform into the car but just like uh hides in a ball right next to the car or when when <laughs> or uh, on the beach and he, she's like hide and he just like goes behind a rock <laughs> yeah or when uh or when memo walks in and he's like a second late and then transforms yeah like that that stuff just that, like that stuff just cracks me up and if i can like if i can laugh that hard at stuff in like a transformers movie and a pg-13 one a movie in general at that like i'm always like gonna give you a lot of points for that kind of thing yeah, that's my thing. It's like none, this movie isn't really doing anything that we haven't seen before, but it's a lot of stuff that almost always works for me. So, yeah. What did you think of, uh, as I'm sure you figured out, like, or just know from just being aware of popular culture things in general, you know, the Decepticons are just like, they're like the villains in like at least the first right. two movies. And I'm, I'm assuming the three that I didn't see. Uh, <laughs> did you enjoy Justin Theroux and Angela Bassett being the villains? I didn't realize that's who it was until the credits. I, oh, well, okay. the Angela Bassett one, I thought like, 
she sounds kind of familiar. It might be Angela Bassett, but I had no idea about Justin Theroux, which as the number one leftover super fan, I'm ashamed I didn't recognize, but. Okay. Well, I should say I'm, uh, cause I'm also like, I, if you're one, I'm one a <laughs> on the, on the leftovers, but I, I knew he was in the movie and then it didn't like, I, click, see, I didn't know. And then, and then it did, I knew he was in the movie and then I, I didn't actually put two and two together until like the credits came by. I was like, Oh Yeah. And, uh, so I, I actually saw it again because like, I, I saw like a, a bunch of theaters did like an early screening, like two weeks before the actual release. So I, I went, I went mm-hmm. to that. And then I was like, by the time I get around to doing a podcast, like I don't want my most recent viewing to have been a month ago. So I saw it again. And then, so it was kind of fun just like watching him just that, like, he's such a versatile guy in general that like yeah. he, he can, he can write Zoolander or Tropic Thunder or whatever, but also like act in the leftovers or Mona Holland drive, but then play a Decepticon. Uh, so yeah, it's, it it's, fun. it's just funny knowing that, but like, I also like them as like villains and just, I mean, it wasn't again, it wasn't like the most complex thing where this movie is reinventing the wheel of movie villains, but I enjoyed them a lot more than John Cena. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm fine having John Cena in this movie. If you just tweak that character and to do better things that service John Cena's talents well. And cause I thought the, the two of them as the robots were good enough villains. I didn't really need another villain. You know, um, it was a lot going on. It was kind of funny to see like when they're like, yeah, they are connecting a, a web of all of our information. <laughs> and it yeah. just, the, the, yeah. and I mean, that was just like a funny little, haha, the internet's going to be invented in five years, a little nod, but I, I got a kick out of that. And then just watching them kind of like manipulate the humans. Like it was a different kind of interaction for the Decepticons, at least from the two Transformers movies that I had seen. So, I, I don't know. I kind of enjoyed their presence, and it was like, man, this movie already had pretty good villains. It didn't really need that one right there. But yeah, um, anything else? I feel like we've mostly talked about it. Um, I, I will say one other thing. I, um, as far as like her family and that whole dynamic, I, you know, I think her. So her stepdad. I think I never seen that guy before, um, except when he. I think he played like Abby's boyfriend on a couple mm-hmm. seasons of Broad City. That's what I knew him. And from. I was like, this is very weird because like, I guess I that he's like all of a sudden like the dad of or stepdad of someone as old as Haley Steinfeld when he's like Abby's boyfriend in Broad City but like I, I really laughed a lot when he gave her the book as a birthday present <laughs> and I feel like Haley's talents were like they're at, like she's so good at like just like giving like a reaction to stuff like that or I didn't and I didn't think the brother was particularly like a great actor he had a couple of like funny moments I would say but no like, yeah he was fine but but like where he like makes the comment he makes a comment about how like when she uh Pamela Adlon's telling her that he should have, like, she should protect him when he goes to school or whatever. He's like, oh, I'm going to rupture someone's spleen if they do that. And there's, like, a quick reaction shot where she just, like, gives, like, an exasperated look at him, but it only lingers on her face for, like, a half a second. And I'm like, man, like, she's, like, really good at stuff like that that could, like, salvage an otherwise, like, cringy moment. And I Yeah, she's really good at reaction shots. And, I mean, yeah, I guess, and I think that is a fairly big part of Edge Edge of 17, too. What, what, did you have any Pamela Adlon thoughts at all? Um she was fine i mean she didn't really have a lot to do i liked that the um the stepdad wasn't like a villain or like he not a villain but like he i do didn't he yeah he was trying to be supportive and like it all kind of works out because you see a lot of movies where like parents or step parents are just you know sort of one-dimensional or yeah i mean even a lot of of 80s movies where like the kids just like absolutely like hate their parents for like no reason just because that's the thing that you're supposed to do and or that the parents are just like really really aloof and it wasn't that you know it was like kind of like a typical i don't want to say typical because i'm trying to make the point that like it's a little different but it's like you know they have their things that they're a little 
uh, they snip at each other over, but you know, they ultimately mean well, and they kind of like do have a fun moment when they have their little car chase thing. And you know, Mm -hmm. it's like they're they're not like best friends, but they're not like you said, they're not like straight up villains. They're kind of there in their own unique way. But like like you said, I I almost think they could have like given Pamela Adon like another scene. You know, it's like I mean, yeah, they could have given her more to. Not that she's like a big star, but like people that watch tv know her pretty well obviously so we know what she's capable of you know if you watched season two of better things or, or either the first two seasons or watched her on louie and i'm sure i'm forgetting a couple things like she can really act and um it would have been fun to see her like actually get like a real meaningful scene somewhere with Haley. and uh i don't think they really gave you that but i mean i hope she like got paid really well and can then afford to like go work really cheap to make good tv so yeah um yeah, good for her. Uh, so yeah, I, I I think we both we both liked it. You know, it's not like this is like a movie that's probably going to be in like either our top tens of the year. But like, I'm just like really glad that they found a way to like utilize this actress I really liked, and in some ways like give the franchise like some breathe some air into it. Because I mean, I think Michael May, uh, Bay had sucked a lot of it out of it, from what I understand. And even though most of those movies made like a billion dollars, and this one unfortunately maybe isn't going to be as successful as like the main Transformers movies. But like, it's really cool that like. Yeah. Uh, um, that Haley doesn't. Unfortunately, it seems like these days she has more interest in being a singer than an actor. But uh, that at least she's like choosing really good, cool stuff to do aside from Pitch Perfect three. And the, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I didn't have a ton else to say. I actually watched uh, Kubo and the Two Strings for the first time uh, a couple of days ago. Yeah, I never saw it. That's one where it, like I missed it when it was in theaters, and then I just never saw it. But I know people love it. Yeah, so I wanted to just like I I I really literally watched that so I could like be more informed. Then I forgot about the to talk about the director the whole time I was watching this because I mean I would just say that like Kubo and the Two Strings is a solid movie. I don't know if I loved it as much as the consensus, but it definitely has a lot of heart. And I think that uh, good job on the producers for like thinking to hire that guy for this because I'd say the other Transformers movies probably were lacking in heart. And this guy certainly knows how to like at least evoke some real emotion out of characters. And that's really not Michael Bay's strong suit. So uh, good on the good on them for like um, fig- I mean, because I was skeptical too. I'm like I- I'm just out on prequels in general. You know what I mean? It's like. Yeah, it's just like a thing that's become really common in pop culture, and like I just, I mean, unless you're gonna like do it, you know, to the level of execution of something like Better Call Saul, I'm just out. You know what I mean? It's like I just find more unique stories to tell. So I was pretty skeptical when this became a thing, and I'm glad it worked out well. Um, you have you have any other final thoughts before we sign off? Not really. Just that you know, this was the first Transformers movie that I had had even a little bit of interest in. And so now, are you, you know, inspired to go back and watch all the others? No, <laughs> they're all like three hours long. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I believe uh, yeah. I, I, I do not blame you, but I'm glad you gave this one a shot, and I, uh, I appreciate you talking about it with me, uh, Hannah. Before we go, do you have any uh, thing you want to plug? Um, not really. My well, my Twitter is at hgcoutre, and I, uh, the other day, put up the only thing I ever write every year, which is a list of pop culture stuff that I liked during the year. So, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. Mostly uh, like list of dumb tv moments but it's like stuff that made me laugh in 2018 so yeah no i recommend reading hannah's list because like i always find cool stuff that like i watched that might have happened earlier in the year in tv and i'm like oh yeah that was really cool thanks for reminding me hannah but other stuff that it's like i have no idea what that is maybe i'll check it out so uh (laughs) definitely definitely read that as usual 
On Twitter, I'm at Josh Jernavoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-I. Same thing, but two words for first and last name on Letterboxd. Thank you all for listening. If you uh, stay tuned, I think we'll have a couple more podcasts coming out, rounding out Oscar season with uh, Vice and On the Basis of Sex slash RBG and... uh, and then I'll have an awards podcast that will is still yet to totally be formed, but it's in the works. So uh, stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.